Here we go. Are you guys ready? We are going to embark on something that most people would think you guys are crazy. You, there's no way that you could do this. How many here have read Calvin's Institute? Sure. I've actually read part of it. I have. All right. It's it's actually readable, isn't it? It is. It's very yep. And so what we're going to do... And you're going through four chapters tonight? How long are we going to be here? <laughs> there are four books. I have it in two uh, two volumes, but there are four books to count. Right. And it's not that we're going to cover every page or maybe we won't cover every chapter, but there's a lot to cover there and yet... I think it can be very good for us. You know, there are two books that Sinclair Ferguson says that he would highly recommend, right next to the Bible. And, um, of course, what's that? Yeah, he, he said he wouldn't even consider you to be a Christian if you didn't read these books. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is pretty serious. Actually, you would think he would put Pilgrim's Progress. I guess that would be third. But... Calvin's Institutes was uh, on that little short list there. And John Owen, which we just finished going through in our summer study, which was Communion with the Triune God. So those two books. And it's like, huh, boy, that just kind of fits in with what we've been doing. So I think there's a, a lot to gain out of this. This is one of the classics that's ever been written. If, if anybody's into Protestant theology at all, they it ought to be recommended to read that. All seminaries should have this. All pastors should have read this great, just a great book by uh, Calvin. And I think it can do us very much good. Being able to get into something that's actually a classic, but yet taking the scriptures and then showing how much of an impact this kind of theology made on the uh, well, the theology of what we believe today. And there's nothing going to be foreign there to it, but it just, it's nice to have a good basis of it. Uh, the first, like I say, there's four books in, uh, in his series that he had there. And the first book treats of the knowledge of God the Creator. The knowledge of God the Creator, and that's what we're kind of starting with tonight. It's in the creation of man that the very perfections of God are best displayed. The creation of God, because what happens is man is made a subject in this kind of discourse too, isn't he? Uh, because that is his grandest creation, mankind. And so the, the whole book really, uh, book one, divides into two principal heads. One is the knowledge of God, and the other one is the knowledge of man or self. Calvin said, know yourself and know God. And in that lies knowledge. And that that is boiling it down to something simple, but I, I've probably quoted uh, him many, many times down through the years of that because that's really the essence of all of this first part that we're talking about. But, you know, in this first chapter here, you see that it's really kind of considered together, kind of joint. 
know God, know yourself. Or know yourself, know God. He'll first start off with know yourself and then know God. But it's like how can you put the two first and second? They go hand in hand, but uh, without the knowledge of self, you can't know God. And without the knowledge of God, you can't know yourself. Um, so that's what will be shown here. The, the kind of knowledge which God requires is found in chapter 2. So he says in this chapter 1, this is the sum of, of true wisdom. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. And then uh, we'll get into this. How are they connected? How are they interrelated? How, how do they come together then? How do they work, work with that? Why don't we have a word with the Lord? Father, we thank You that uh, we can know You. And if we belong to Christ, we do know You because You know us. Thank You that You keep revealing more and more of Yourself to us that we can know You. That's really what all of life is about in the here and in the future. To know God. That is what the essence of it is to have eternal life. And so help us, Lord, to understand some of these deep things that you've uh, given this writer and be able to square it with your truth that you've given and give great meaning to us, our, our own selves, so that we will know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So, chapter 1 is, is the knowledge of God and ourselves are connected. How are they connected? We start off with, without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. And and we'll try to demonstrate that here. Uh, that's two parts, right? They're connected together. They're tied. It's not really easy to determine to split them up and what precedes the other. One gives birth to the other, however you look at it. Uh, no man can really examine himself, uh, take a look at himself without turning his thoughts. Let's say if he's looked at himself, he can't help but turn his thoughts towards God. When man really sees who he is and, and what his life is and made up, he has to turn around and look at God. And, you know, in God alone, we know that's where we come from, and that's how we uh, that's how we live our very being. I, I think of Acts in chapter 17, where Paul was in Corinth, and of course that's the place where they had all their idols. And in Acts 17:28, Paul starts to preach about this one God, this one unknown God to them. He says, "For in Him we live." and move and exist as even some of your own poets have said for we are also his children they're poets their own writers people who had believed in other gods still yet it came down to the fact that they knew that there was one real God that was over all of this we we move we live we have our very being from God if we just look at you know, our movements that we have, the breath that we take, the air that is here, everything that's supplied to us that is a necessity. The very moment we look at ourselves, you can't help but go outside yourself and realize 
this goes beyond the internal. There's something outside. So if you if you know yourself, you see yourself in that, you see that you subsist in God and God alone. So um, the good that comes from God, it, it, it's infinite, isn't it? It's infinite. And uh, I think what happens is as you look at yourself, I think it becomes apparent that we are in poverty. Of course, I think of the poverty that Jesus talked about. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they shall see God. Um, but man, if he were to really look at himself, he would see that he's not as good as he's cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah, so the way around, isn't it? Well, except for the neighbor. But if we look at ourselves, it really should make us turn our eyes upwards. What happens, you know, we're in a world of misery. How can people deny that? You know, they just look around, they see what people talk about, they see what they live for, they live for the weekend, and then, um, you know, I go out walking with these guys at work and it's almost like every day one of the guys comes up and starts talking about drinking I mean you know they're talking about beer they're talking about whiskey they're talking about the stuff you know like this you go to a cardinal game it's like you go there to get drunk you know but then they say what's over eight dollars for a beer you know and this is the kind of thing they live for you know to, to go for that and you're you know what's that I mean, that's life to them. I mean, that's the essence. Let's say, hey, man, I could brag on this tea. You know, this is really, man, it's great tea. The only thing is it doesn't really have an effect on me where it just wipes me out and I act stupid then. But that's where people want to ultimately get, it seems like, whenever they, they drink. It's a different feeling. What's that? Yeah. I'm drinking enough. Right. The feeling you're going to get is running to the bathroom. But if, if we look at ourselves there's really I think most people really have an unhappiness about themselves if they don't look in Christ they're going to look at themselves they can fake it over for a while and they you know they act happy and they but you find out some of the people that would be the most happiest people in the world without Christ are the ones who've committed suicide and it totally surprises people I didn't know there was any problem with them at all and I thought they were happy um but when you see that you're unhappy, then one has to think about God who is everything. And so if we start feeling of, okay, I don't know everything. Matter of fact, I'm very ignorant. Um, I have a lot of things I need. I'm weak. Um, it's depravity and corruption. Maybe they don't see that, but... Uh, you know, the virtues, all of a sudden, if they really see it, there's evil and wickedness here, right? So, to consider the things of God is to turn from self once we've looked at it and then we've seen, we've seen how great and how marvelous and what a wonder He is. Uh, I think if we really look at ourselves, we go back to that one series where we started where we have um, 
We have expectations. And those expectations, for the most part, don't ever get met. And people become unhappy because they don't get what they thought they were looking for. Or if they do, then they realize that they've got to move on to something else because that didn't do it. It's all there is. That's all I thought it was going to be after all. Right. So if they be true to themselves, and they'll keep jumping from one thing to another, trying to find that fulfillment, and they never can. They never will. And then we see the ultimate of that. Well, we know only in Christ will, will we ever find our fulfillment. We, we know that. That's easy for us. But the rest of people, and even Christians, are you know seemingly looking for something else. So in Paul's, uh, in Paul's uh, discussion here, this is, this is on Mars Hill, right? Mm-hmm. And him... Who is he talking to here? He's talking to people that don't know the Lord. Pagans, Gentiles. And he's saying, in him we live and move and have our being. Exactly. We, we're he's creatures. All those people. But that's based on a pagan form. Okay, but if you go back there, it says, as though he, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. A lot of periods about the law, and they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. And then He puts that in Him we live and move and have our being. Is He saying that these Greeks also in Him live and move and have their being? Well, I think they know, just like everybody else knows, and that's what we're getting. I think, like in Romans 1, we were just talking about the moon. Just look at, you know, there's creation. Just thinking about that in itself. Just thinking about creation. There's something that goes beyond ourselves. And so every and this is where Calvin is going to go to by the time he gets to about the third book. Third chapter. Sorry. Third chapter. And it's really showing that everybody knows there's a creator God. Now I know that that seems different than what most of the world is saying, and especially the atheists that we have today, believe me, they know there's a God. And, and Calvin went on to show that, and to prove it. And of course, it's proven scripturally. They know. You know, they might just. T- yeah. Oh well, but atheists probably know about more about God than most people, than many Christians. Which is sad, but ah, yeah, they, they do know about God. But they know maybe uh, they know there's something out. But they know there's something most people know at the time of great distress. There's something outside of themselves. You know, they might not know the name, but they know there's something else greater than they are. Yeah. And so that's looking from you know looking in and seeing ourselves, and we don't see. Stuff there that we would really like to see if we'd really be honest about it. Of course, what what is uh, when we're blessed is whenever the Holy Spirit then shows us what we really are, and that we, we fall far short of God's glory, and we are hopeless and in despair. And that is a blessing because now we know there's only one way. Now it's upward, right? As we look at God, but even the the unbeliever, atheist, know there's God. Now, what happens though, they continue to lie to themselves. Here lies 
and they believe those, they build it up on it because really what happened is they didn't get taken care of by God the way that they wanted to be taken care of. And this thing happened to me or uh, we had a baby die and so therefore I don't believe in God. That's just covering it up. The fact of the matter is, is that they, of course, Romans says, what do they do? They suppress the truth, truth, and they just build on it, and build on it, till eventually they get to the point where they do believe the lie, where God just does not give them any kind of light on Him anymore. He closes the door. Um, so every person, on coming to the knowledge of him, of himself really is urged to seek God. That's what's happening in, in the Corinthian passage there in chapter 17. The, you know, he, he's just reasoning with them to say, hey, even, even your writers even talk about this God who created. And he says, this is the one I'm talking about. So, uh, even at that point in time, you can see how he's urging them to see this true God. It's almost like they could reach out and touch Him. You know, he's, he's almost that close. So anyway, that's part A there. Four books tonight. Four chapters, I mean. <laughs> the other one, it, there's two parts to this chapter one. One is having knowledge of ourselves. And we realize the greatest blessing is knowing ourselves is without God, we are helpless, hopeless, we're in despair, we are sinners, we're evil and wicked, we need somebody to take our place. That is so sinful, right? So, the next one was without the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. We really don't know ourselves until we know God. Um, Calvin said that knowledge is that by which we not only conceive that there is a God, conceive it, but also grasp what befits it and is proper to His glory. Now that's a step up than just having a thought, or at least knowing there's a Creator, conceiving that there's a Creator God, but it's one who knows that here's what befits us and is this is proper to glorify Him. To our advantage to know him, isn't it? To, to to know that. So it's evident that man never will attain to a true self knowledge. He could he can see that he he's short of what the glory of God is if he just looks at creation. And how many times have you seen some like the Louis Giglio where you start on earth and then it starts expanding out to the rest of the universe. It gets bigger and bigger, and then you compare the universe with all those, what, billions of galaxies and everything that is out there, and you see this, the earth, it's like a speck. Oh man, what are you, right? How little we really are. And they can't deny that, especially in the time that we live in. It's all the... uh, it's, It's about contemplating the very face of God. Uh, We, mankind, without comparing ourselves to the true holy God, we seem to be just and upright and wise and 
all about holy, but uh, I think most people would think themselves to be good till they see God. Because if you don't have the light shining on you, it's like, you know, looking in, you know, even in here, there's a lot of light going on right now. You could turn the lights off, but you could still look at the floor and probably find some things even with the lights out. Still enough light in here. But then stand up and then look up at the sun or, or the area that's all lit up. And what's that compared, like at the moon, noon day, compared to what we might see in here? This, you know, this looks like we got a lot, of, a lot of light right now, but out there to see that, so you know, we uh, we look down and we don't see anything too bad, but if we'd really see what's really there, we want to look up, we want to gaze that it's unveiled. The sight that we have becomes excellent then. So as long as we don't look at anything beyond the earth, we're pleased with our own righteousness, right? What about what happens when we start raising our thoughts to God? What happens? That's all about the Christian life. Raising our thoughts more and more about who God is and uh, what He's about. And then reflecting His very being here on this earth so that we could show His, uh, His righteousness, His glory. Then there is man before God's majesty. Calvin said this, when we see those who previously stood firm and secure, so quaking with terror that the fear of death takes hold of them, nay, they are in a manner swallowed up and annihilated. The inference to be drawn is that men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Does that help? When we start contrasting how majestic He is, so what we're going to do is look at judges to start with. Let's look at some of the ways that man looked at God. Judges 13.22 and they realized that He's much bigger than they ever even imagined. Thirteen twenty-two. Here you have Pick it up, verse 21. Now the angel of the Lord, and by the way, usually in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, that's really pre-incarnate Christ. It's a theophany. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. They saw just a glimpse of God's glory through this angel of the Lord, which is really Christ before He came as being born man here. 
Go back to Judges 6. If you see God, you'll die, right? I mean, they had a... Obviously, they they had a kind of a view that uh, He's holy. It's too bright. When Gideon saw, 6.22, saw that He was the angel of the Lord, who was visiting him. Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. They knew that they were going to die. You look at God, you're going to die. That's how holy and bright and glorious He was. But He says, so that means He was fearing. How many times do they hit the dirt, you know? Did he have to keep him from dying so he could talk to him? It's like almost like calling back up a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Really I forgot to talk to people back then. <laughs> <laughs> they don't fall on their face. Always, always falling on the face. <laughs> almost dying. No, no, no. How about the prophet Isaiah? Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's Isaiah's vision in the temple. Chapter 6, which is about the holiness of God, that uh, just it about floored him, didn't it? But, um, of course, he the voice of the Lord comes there and gets him the right view of things, but... They, they knew whenever they saw something that was had come from God, that pure sight that they had in that sense, um, they saw self. They saw the self for what it really is. They saw the holiness of God and the brightness and the glory. I'm done. Isaiah is probably the most righteous man living at that time. And he says, I'm undone. The people are I live among a people who are undone. In more modern times Yeah, they got a sense always, you know, about their sinfulness. And they had a high view of God's holiness. And then it gets down the light is shining on us. And yet then God will say, Fear not. But yeah, the the uh, Puritans will do that. But by the time you get to the end of it, we see that they have their right view as they look back at God, and then they see who they who they are in Christ. And that's the only way that we want to see ourselves, you know. But you know, this is how we got. We have to burn off this dross. Is see again what how much we've been ruined by just living here in this dirty earth. But how quickly we, they recognize. Yeah, God didn't have to start pointing out all the different little sins of Isaiah. Exactly. Uh, prophets definitely got that view uh, in Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Should get a look at any of the 
prophets, but uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Why is He saying stand on your feet? Go back to 1.28. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. This was, of course, this rainbow, which must have been some kind of a vision that Ezekiel saw. He had the vision of the four figures, if you'll remember, and, you know, of course, divine glory <laughs> is really being seen there, and it, it just floored him. He went down to the ground likeness of the glory of the Lord or the appearance of the likeness. He didn't see God, but he saw something like that. It must have been some kind of a scene. This is definitely outside ourselves, isn't it? This goes far beyond just seeing moon and Mars. (laughs) That's a glorious thing. And people at least see that. They have to acknowledge that. So, man before God's majesty... What about Job? Uh, right at the uh, near the end of Job, of course, you think of 38 and 39, and but just to start off with, we're not going to read all of that. But uh, how does he start off with? God starts speaking to Job. Job's been speaking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me. You instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? There's your Creator God right there. It starts with that, doesn't it? Tell me if you have understanding. Where were you? He wasn't there, was He? Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? So you just go... A series of questions. Where were you? He's showing the the magnificence of His creation. The power that God had. And, uh, of course, it's just overwhelming. And, of course, by the time God is through speaking, uh, Job confesses. I know that you can do all things. He already knew that. But he saw a a sight of God he had never seen before. And of course the glory of the Lord is dominating at that time. So it's what God... he, He shows us more and more of Himself through His Word, doesn't He? How about Abraham? How did how did he see God? Genesis eighteen twenty seven. And Abraham replied, "This is where you know. Hey, if I find uh, in Sodom fifty righteous people within the city, then I'll spare the whole place." And twenty seven. And Abraham replied, "Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord." although I am but dust and ashes. I think Abraham has an idea of knowing himself and knowing God. This is early on. There's more to come for Abraham, but 
here it is, he realizes that he's from the earth, dust. God is far above this to the Lord. So anyway, it's, it's like he, he, you know, he didn't dare to speak to God there. But God honored that in a sense. But that's a right view, isn't it? He recognized that we're nothing without God and He's everything. How about Elijah, 1 Kings 19? When Elijah, there's an earthquake. Everybody knows about the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire, and at the fire a sound of gentle blowing. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then he says, go and return to the wilderness. You know, this is the whole, you know, uh, uh, Elijah at, at Horeb. And uh, of course, Elijah had been on the run, running from Jezebel. And you get that whole story about how God shows Himself. And of course, His glory had been passing by. The Lord had been passing by. A great strong wind. You remember all that? So, uh, Elijah recognizes who God is. And then, of course, then he is able to speak to Him at the same time and recognize what God has done for him, what He's been able to do. Um, bit about God's glory. Isaiah 24-23 you're speaking all about judgment on the earth there. Probably a final judgment. And you get to the very last verse that the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And here we go. And His glory will be before His elders. The unbelievers don't see and don't recognize that kind of glory. But just the little bit of glory of the sun and the moon and the stars and creation, as he says here, the moon's going to be abashed, the sun ashamed. It's nothing compared to God's glory, right? The glory that he has there. So that's a little bit of the prophets and some of the great men of God who fell down before him, whether it be Isaiah or Elijah or Abraham, Ezekiel, Job, great men of God, and yet they recognized who they were and who He was. Know yourself. Know God. Christians do know that. True Christians know where they really came from, what they're really about, every ounce of their being, every little breath, everything that we do is its all because of God, isn't it? So, chapter 2 is what it is to know God and to what purpose the knowledge of Him tends to do. And he, uh, 
Calvin and a lot of the reformers used the word piety. You hear that word today? Oh, he's so pious. He's so yeah, so religious. It, it means religion, and religion gets a bad rap today. It's really a good word, but we can't use it anymore because we think of religions that are works-based religions. Catholicism, for instance. You see, we think of that as religion. People say, oh, you're so religious. And what's your first reaction with, with our mentality today? <laughs> oh, no, I'm not religious. <laughs> but I know what we're saying when we say that because it does have a bad connotation, but it's a good connotation. Matter of fact, it's used in the book of James. Religion Most is in a favorable sense. They're trying to say that they recognize that you are different. Yeah, which right. Is different. And Right, right. And we want to clarify, wait a minute, religion isn't that. But in their speaking, this uh, this piety is one who really... And the Puritans will speak about piety. And it was not a fake religiosity, a fake piety. It w- it's really true because they know themselves. They know how weak they are. It's not that they're trying to be better than other people. It's not that at all. Um, uh, we can't say that God is known where there is no religion or piety. Is what Calvin says. Where there is not religion, how can you know God? Right? I mean, to, to, outside of knowing, okay, he's cre- He created, but you know, the whole course of nature expands on this. And so, by piety, he meant that the union of reverence and love to God is having the knowledge of His benefits. All the stuff that that benefits us, all that He's given to us. Uh, until we know that everything that we own, really, it's owned by God. Everything we owe to Him, everything, our very being and everything that we own, whatever it is, we owe to Him, to God, and that's the idea of lordship, lordship, salvation. He owns it all. He owns everything. He owns me. He's the very author of the blessings that we have, and we are blessed, aren't we? He's the very author of it. He's the one that has just immensely given to us and given to us, continues to give us. So unless we place our entire happiness in Him, we will never be happy. We'll never yield ourselves to Him in truth and sincerity. So knowledge of God really comes down to trust and reverence. To trust Him, to believe Him, to do what He says, to revere Him, to worship Him. So our knowledge that we get from God is to teach us fear and reverence. What about those Old Testament saints? When they were talking to God. God's talking to them. What's going on there? A fear of God. Because they knew they could be struck and be and vanish. <laughs> he is so holy. But those are who are His, He then says what? Fear not. 
what a what a great God we have. But he wants us to have a fear and reverence to actually uh, revere him, to hold him up high. Uh, Epicurus had something here really stupid. Um, this is philosophies of mankind. Um, Calvin said, those therefore who in considering this question propose to inquire what the essence of God is, they only delude us with frigid speculations. There are certain people that try to explain who God is but without knowing Him. It being much more our interest to know what kind of being God is and what things are agreeable to His nature. And then he says this, For of what use is it to join Epicurus in acknowledging some God who has cast off the care of the world and only delights himself in ease. So they saw a God that could care less about this creative creation that he has and the world and the people that are in it. It's like uh, winding up the world and then letting it happen. And he could really care less because he just is going to enjoy himself. But, and what is he supposed to do to enjoy himself? What do they suppose he would do to enjoy himself? Oh. I mean, I am just, you know, when I, I feel like sometimes I get a little carried away thinking about God and what he actually does. How can he do that? How can he listen to every prayer and respond to all the prayers and keep the waters back and bring the waters in? <laughs> I mean, how does he <laughs> do that? A little flick of a second. Oh, yeah. That infinity. You know, and when the when the Bible says we should fear God, I think I think it means we should fear God. If you thought about it for a minute and realized what he could do, that's kind of scary. Yeah. And if I'm with the wrong people in the wrong place, or the, I mean, and he decides to, you know, what if I'm on a plane with bad guys? <laughs> they and he's going to take them out. They all are. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Thank God you're his because awesome. you're going to go be with him then. <laughs> That's what you said. They're saying. Yeah. Okay, I guess this is how you this is how you want me to give me a witness to somebody. Fearful God, I mean, this is he is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of just a sinners in the hands of an angry God. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. 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 No, I want to be there. Spiders in a web, just being a hanging web. Is we're bringing some of these people who did think on God and those kind. Of, that's what Edwards did. He would go out into nature, go walk in the woods, and see all the things that are going on there, whether it be plants, animals, yeah. just just everything. And, and he brings everything that. into that. And God's doing that thing. And then you, and then you watch a natural disaster happen, like this I mean, fires. you start thinking you can go yeah. crazy. You can make you crazy thinking about. But you sit there and you watch those natural fires. And yeah. thousands of acres, everybody's house will be burnt down, and then there'll be one house sitting in the middle of all of that, and they have no explanation. That's, you know, yeah, the hurricane. You know, there's a tree yeah. in in uh, California 
that have to be burned oh, yeah. to make baby yeah. trees? Yeah. Yeah. That's it has to burn? These ashes and all the nutrients from the car. Oh, I wonder if that's why they're having those fires. <laughs> <laughs> that's not just in California. And to think God ha already had that in mind before he ever ended creation. Yeah, it's, our minds can't... How can people say there's no God when we can't even understand all the things that God does and then to say, well, he can't exist then because it doesn't come in my mind. Well, it comes in our mind. We know it's vast and way beyond our thinking, but we believe it, don't we? Well, and that's the thing. You know, you, you're talking about knowledge of God and, and I mean, how do you, how you can't know God? He's too much. You know, and those attributes that He's revealed to us is all we've got. Yeah. yeah just a little... Yeah, yeah well, well, we did an attribute last week. Yeah. And, of course, we're looking at really kind of that. And, and if you know those, that's where you start. And then you start, and you dwell on it. Then you meditate upon those Scriptures. And you go out, you look at it, you know, you see beyond ourselves. Then you see how we need Him so much and, you know, on everything. Exactly how that did that. I was praying for the spaghetti <laughs> squash. <laughs> I was praying for the spaghetti squash here. Away from my doors and stuff. We did that at home all those years. 
One morning, I was sitting on my porch. There was a darn squirrel. It was bringing the head apples from the neighbors over to the tree on our side. It's like, this is mine. Get out of my life. Oh, I mean, a huge head apple. <laughs> That's funny. Carrying that in his mouth, walking yeah. on his hind legs, holding to his mouth with his hands, walking on his hind legs to the tree in our front yard. And carried that head apple up and dropped it down in the hole. This is what we're talking about. This is nature. And God has revealed Himself in two ways. Natural revelation, which we're talking about, and all men, all men can see that, and they all have brains to understand it and to know that, where it came from. Yeah, I tried to explain this to my dad. Well, thanks to my dad as a gardener. I kept saying, because he loved gardening, you know, all the seeds and getting all this stuff, and he liked all of it, what they were going to do. He got all excited about that. And it's sitting there saying, dad, I was like going, Dad, have you ever opened a seed up in the inside? He's kind of going, well, yeah. And I said, doesn't the seed have to be totally dead before it can grow? And he's like going like that. And I said, there's a... That's God making that life come back. That's that's impossible for something dead to come alive. He said, well, you just throw some water on it. <laughs> no, I'm going, no, Dad. But some of them don't even throw water on it. And I'm sitting there saying how, how God is to eat exactly everywhere it comes from. Every My little dad. seed. Yeah, every little seed. Well, and it's like, to like you're that. talking about the pine tree with yeah. the pine cones. Yeah, it has to die. With that horrible fire. That burns everything in its path. If that didn't happen, that pine tree wouldn't exist anymore. They would have been. They would have become extinct. They would have gone away because the babies could never come because there was no fire. How amazing! That's okay. He took care of that. <laughs> and that's what we're, ta- we're talking about. The cre- doesn't do the fire. Yeah, he does. This is the creative God. <laughs> this is the God who has made His creation. Isn't it? Isn't it something that... Okay, look at Romans 1. Let's look at this. And we'll... Even that little bit of information doesn't fit real well in my head. <laughs> That's really, right. I mean, just, I just that. Just I, one. Yeah. Just, I, I mean, it's way. so immense. But we know that God's doing it. 19. Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God... This is what we've been dealing with this whole thing. Is evident within. It's very clear. I mean, without a doubt, it's it's all evident. It's evident to them, within them. Do you see that? They all believe it. For God made it evident to them. He made it evident to them. So if you believe God's word, you have to realize that either at one time, but they've covered it over so much. You ever tried to make yourself? start to not like something even though you know better that would be better if you would but you just start talking against it and and you're going to get it in your mind that you I'm I'm turning away from that never again it's never going I'm never going to let that happen again you know no matter what and we've all done that <laughs> for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. His power, his nature, right? I mean, you can see it in... It's not direct revelation, but it's very clear that... And they see it. They go out and see it with their own eyes. We live by faith and not by sight. But we're talking about they see this creation being understood through what has been made so that they are without 
excuse for even though they knew God. I mean, they knew about Him. You know, they, there's the knowledge that uh, Calvin is talking about. They knew God. They didn't honor Him. And we've been talking about fear and reverence, right? They did not honor Him as God or give thanks for every little breath, every glass of water we've had today, every morsel of food, everything. They didn't ever give Him thanks on anything, but they came futile, empty, worthless in their speculations, philosophies, and their foolish heart was darkened. And that's when they became fools. And they start replacing what God is. So that shows you that every man, even today, knows that or they did know it until they become darkened and God might just let them, let Satan darken them even more and then finally God will darken them where the wrath of God is put on them. And so, there we go. Yeah. Doctors. Uh, how can a doctor... Uh, or Delivering a baby, for instance, or seeing organs, you know, where they actually see this, they touch it, they see, you know, these are not mechanical parts here. I mean, you know, like in a car, it's amazing how distributor caps, distributors, uh, all the parts of a car. Well, that's pretty amazing how that all comes together. Any trouble at all knowing that somebody created somebody did that? You betcha. Now we have a living organ. Yeah. Wow. They know. They know, guys. They are lying. And who are they lying to? Themselves. And they keep lying and they keep lying and then finally they believe it. Well, as soon as they say, Yeah, there is a God, now they're obligated to him. And that's I remember. I remember the arguments that I made against God. There's a lot of them just attributed to intelligent design that they stuck here to say the intelligent designer is God. Well, that's those aliens that are coming back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Duh. It is the greatest So I guess, okay, then wouldn't we owe our lives to them then? Let's just take that and run with it. Where did those aliens come from? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe people. Oh, wow. Well, you didn't get very far. We just, we got two chapters done. We got half of it done. Wow. But anyway, does that make sense? We are actually doing John Calvin. We did we had to get to there because we know that we've read it a thousand times, but then you, you, you every time you go over that you go, Oh, yeah, because we wonder how can they be that how can they not believe that? They do. They do believe it. They're they're lying. They're just absent because God made them believe it. God made them believe it. That's what it said there. That's tremendous, isn't it? But yet, then, they keep denying it and denying it. What does it say? They uh, uh, they harden themselves. Then God the hardens foolish them. Hearts are foolish hearts are darkened. Well, and, you know, it's just... You start looking into the things of God and it's just so... It's so beyond my thinking. It's just beyond me. It's just totally. It would be easy to say, "Forget it. This, that's impossible." 
I mean, this God that you're talking about, that's, I can't. It's somehow working for me. I can understand turning away from that because it's too much. Because they don't, Can't deal with they it. don't honor him. Well, it makes me feel kind of stupid. Who strip wants you. to feel stupid? You strip you of yourself. I'm smarter than that. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> yeah, the intelligence of yes. man. And it just they show how much dumber they really are. They don't know themselves, do they, really? They don't really know God. But that's where it that's where it kind of starts, and you can see how those two come into play with each other. Which is first, which is second? Which you know, first last and last first. Which came first? Chicken or the egg? Chicken. Chicken. I once heard somebody liken the belief in God to the belief in Santa Claus. They said, When I was a little tiny kid I believed in Santa Claus and then as I got older I came to understand that Santa Claus couldn't possibly deliver all these toys to every child throughout the world and then one night he said it's kind of the same thing with God all these things that you say God does I realize he can't do therefore I realize there really is no God because I'm so smart I know right. that right. we're smarter than God yeah. <laughs> besides that there are people good people that are dying and stuff and and I don't want anything to do with that kind of God right so you erase him. You erase him from your mind. That's right. And I believe it always comes down, and it's just been said that it comes down to fear and reverence. Because what good is God to us if He doesn't have? He has a relationship with us. And what good is it if? You know, we don't fear and reverence Him once we see that these things go way so beyond us. I want to know this. Well, it's going to take me an eternity. <laughs> this is eternal life that they may know Thee. We're just on the tip of the iceberg. We haven't even got the tip yet. I mean, it just, it just goes... I mean, the eternal things that... We are learning. We're back to that dust thing. Yeah. We're back to dust. It's good to know that. It's good to know where we came from, where we're going, and where we can go back to. I'm intrigued now because it said dust and ashes. Dust, I can see because we're made from dust, or Adam was made from just ashes. That's intriguing. Why is that said? Ashes. Sounds like a further lesson. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening and thank you so much for showing us again how awesome you really are. A majestic God and we are before the face of God and Lord, help us to see You in everything. And we can't understand the depth of all that, but to know that You are part of our lives tremendously. We owe our lives to You. And that, in a sense, says You are Lord. You are our Master. We want to serve You however You want us to do because we see You for who You are, what Your Word has said. Jesus' name, amen.
So what did I miss last week since I...